Chapter Thirteen of To London Town. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. To London Town by Arthur Morrison. Chapter Thirteen. When Nan May opened shop, she saw that men were pulling down as much of the shipyard wall opposite as stood between two chalk lines. She thought no more of the thing at the time, not guessing how nearly it concerned her, for this was to be a new workman's gate to the shipyard, and passing workmen might change the fortunes of a shop. For that day, however, there was no sign but the demand of a bricklayer's laborer for a pan-earth of cheese. It was as bad a day as Saturday in the matter of trade. Indeed, there was no drunken man to buy lard, and the woman's heart grew heavier as the empty hours went. Bessie stood at the back parlor door, pale and anxious, but striving to lift a brave face. Before one o'clock there was dinner to be prepared, not that either Bessie or her mother could eat, but for Johnny and at a quarter past one both met him at the door as cheerfully as they could. And indeed they were eager to hear of his fortunes. They wondered to see him coming with the long man who lived next door, and the long man, for his part, was awkward and nervous when he saw them. At first he hung back, as though to let Johnny go on alone, but he changed his mind and came striding ahead hastily, looking neither to right nor to left, and plunged in at his door. Johnny was hungry and in high spirits. He and Long Hicks, it seemed, had been betting down a junk ring for a piston, Johnny easing the bolts and nuts and Long Hicks doing the other work. He said nothing of the round square, but talked greatly of slide valves and cranks, till Bessie judged him a full engineer already. Between his mouthfuls he illustrated the proper handling of hammer and file, and reprehended the sinful waste of spoiling the surface of a new file on the outer skin of a fresh iron casting. It cheered Nan May to see the boy taking so heartily to his work, through all her secret dread that she might lack the means to keep him at it. Johnny glanced anxiously at the clock from time to time, and at last declared that he must knock for Long Hicks, who was plainly forgetting how late it was. And in the end, he rushed away to disturb the tall man ten minutes too soon, and hurried off to Maidment and Hurst's, there to take his own new metal ticket from the great board and drop it duly into the box. The afternoon went busily at the factory, and busy days followed. Johnny acquired his first tool, a steel foot rule, and carried it in public places with a full quarter of its length visible at the top of its appointed pocket. It was the way of all young apprentices to do this. The rule, they would say, thus being carried convenient for the hand. But it was an exact science among the observant to judge a lad's experience inversely by scale of the inches exposed growing at the rate of half an inch a year. A lad through two years of his time would show no more of his rule than two inches, 
by the end of four years one of these inches would have vanished as his twenty-first birthday approached the last inch shrank to a mere hint of bright metal and nobody ever saw the foot-rule of a full journeyman except he were using it johnny's christening postponed by the accident of old ben cuts came when he was first put to a small lathe to try his hand at turning bolts for when returning from breakfast he belted his lathe he did not perceive that the water can had been tied to the belt realizing it however the next instant when it flew over the shafting and discharged the water on his head then he was free of the shop suffering no more than the rest from the workshop pranks habitual among the younger lads and joining in them gammoning newer lads than himself with demands for the round square and oppressing them with urgent messages to testy gaffers that a cockroach had got in the foo-foo valve that the donkey man wanted an order for a new nose-bag and the like grew able moreover in workshop policy making good interest with the shopkeeper who might sometimes oblige with the loan of a hammer for a lost hammer meant a fine of three and sixpence and when yours was stolen everybody stole everybody else's hammer a borrowed one would tide you over till you could steal another making friends too with the toolsmith at a slight expense in drinks though able to punish him also if necessary by the secret bedevilment of his fire with iron borings learn to manufacture an apparent water crack by way of excuse for a broken file a water crack made with a touch of grease well squeezed between the broken ends in short became an initiated prentice engineer in the trade itself moreover he was not slow and mr cottam had once mentioned him though johnny did not know it as none so bad a boy one as can work his own ed until his first enthusiasm had worn off he never ceased from questioning long hicks in his hours of leisure on matters concerning steam engines so that the retiring hicks grew almost out of touch with the accordion that had been the solace of his solitude the tall man had never met quite so inquisitive an apprentice engineering was in the blood he supposed he had guessed the boy's mother an engineer's wife when first johnny came to his bench because of the extra button nan may had been careful to sew on his jacket cuff a button used to tighten the sleeve that it might not catch the driver on a lathe it was early in johnny's experience indeed he had been scarce a fortnight at the engine shop when a man coming in from an outdoor job just before dinner told cottam the foreman that an old friend was awaiting him at the gate looking for a job and oo's the old friend asked cottam severely distrustful mr Henry butson esq the man answered with a grin what butson the gaffer ejaculated and his eyes grew rounder butson again ah damn me i'd as soon have a brass monkey 
and Mr. Cottam stumped indignantly up the shop. Singler that, observed a laborer who was helping an erector with a little yacht engine near Johnny's bench. Singler like what I heard the gaffer say at Lumley's when Butson wanted a job there. What? says he. Butson? Why, I'd rather have a chainy dog off my grandmother's mantelpiece, he says. He wouldn't spile castings, he says. There were grins between the men who heard, for it would seem that Mr. Butson was not unknown among them. But when Johnny told his mother at dinner, she thought the men rude and ignorant, and she was especially surprised at Mr. Cottam. For some little while Johnny wondered at the girl who was hunting for a sick lady in the street on that dark Monday morning. He looked out for her on his way to and from his work resolved, if he met her, to ask how the search had fared, and how the lady was. But he saw nothing of her, and the thing began to drop from his mind, till a Saturday afternoon, when he went to see a new ram launched. For halfway to the shipyard he saw a pretty girl, and surely it was the same. In no tears nor trouble now, indeed, but most disconcertedly composed and dignified, yet surely the same. Johnny hesitated and stopped, and then most precipitately resumed his walk, for truly this was a very awful young person, icily unconscious of him. Her casual glance flung serenely through his head and over it. Perhaps it wasn't the same, after all. And if not, well, it was lucky he had said nothing. Nevertheless, his inner feeling was that he had made no mistake. More that the girl remembered him, but was proud and would not own it. It didn't matter, he said to himself. But the afternoon went a little flat. The launch was less interesting than one might have expected. There was a great iron hull, tricked out with flags, and when men knocked away the dog shores with sledgehammers, the ship slid away, cradle and all, into the water. There wasn't much in that. Of course, if you knocked away the dog shores, the ship was bound to slide, plainly enough. That wasn't very interesting. Johnny felt vaguely resentful of the proceedings, but still he wondered afresh at the lost lady who was ill out of doors so early in the morning. End of chapter 13 Recording by John Brandon